listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Well, good morning, everybody. As uh, Mark and Travis have said, I'm Carl, and it's my pleasure to um, be here with you all with my family because over the last couple of years, I've got to know Mark um, really well. He's been a real friend and a real uh, brother to me. He's regularly in touch. Um, On a Monday, I'll get a text message just explaining how he's praying for me and for the family and for my family and the ministry I'm involved in. And I've been praying with him uh, for all you guys here. Um, So it's so wonderful to finally be here and, and to get to see you and meet you. And it's um, particularly great to be here during this series on knowing God and to be speaking today from Psalm 139 because this is a wonderful Psalm of David and I believe that it answers the two biggest questions that we face in life. And let's face it, there's quite a few big questions, aren't there? Um, But I think that David's dealing with the two most important, which I realize is a pretty big and brave claim to come here and make. Um, But I think it's true. Why? Well, because how we answer these two questions are life-changing. The answers are critical for our lives right now and in all eternity. So, Carl, I hear you ask, what are the two questions? Well, firstly, what is God like? And then secondly, how should we respond to God? Yet, you know, despite these two questions being so important... I think generally we and those around us don't consider them as often as we should. Is that your, is that your experience? So in your own lives or in the lives of others, um, of the people in your place of work or in your streets, you know, I find if I ask someone, what's the most important thing to know? The answers are all quite inwardly focused. So we tend to be wrapped up in our own lives, bogged down with the cares of this world. And I find people in my streets and in my work they're not thinking about God. They're not thinking about how they should respond to God. They're thinking about how to make a career or build a business or raise a family. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but they're all a distant second to understanding who God is and ensuring we've responded rightly to Him. And I think that can be true for us as Christians. You know, it's easy, isn't it, for our focus to drift from God. Don't we get caught up in the cares of the world? Don't we struggle with sin? I know I do. And as a result, we may experience times where we're trying to run from God. We get dragged down by sinful thoughts, words or deeds. We feel guilty. And we forget to look up to God. We fail to recognize Him for who He is. And instead of turning to Him for forgiveness, we try and run from Him. We don't respond to God in the right way. So my prayer this morning for every one of us in this room is that our psalmist will reset our focus. He'll help us to see the wonder of who God is and our hearts will be moved to the right response 
whether, for it, whether if it's for the first time this morning or for the millionth time, because our psalmist turns our glaze heavenward. He puts our focus firmly on God. And as our focus shifts heavenward, well, we have to consider those two critical questions. What's God like? And how should we respond? And we should be left in awe of God. Glad we're on his side, or maybe even wanting to get on his side for the very first time today. Leaving here this morning reassured that because we've responded rightly to God, then we wonderfully get to spend all eternity with him. So let's turn our eyes heavenwards and look together at Psalm 139, which can be broken into four chunks, with the first three showing us what God is like, each one revealing three big truths about his nature. So the three truths are, in verses 1 to 6, we see God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. In verses 7 to 12, we'll see the omnipresence of God, which means he's everywhere all the time. And in verses 13 to 18, we'll see the omnipotence of God, which means he has unlimited power. And after David shows us these three big truths, in the last six verses, he's going to show us how we should respond. So to get us going, please could I pray for our time together quickly now. I'll then read the psalm, and then we'll get going. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing your word is to us. Thank you that it's living and active, and that through it you speak to us. Please help us to see your power, your majesty, your goodness, your wonder this morning. Lord, help us to shut out the cares of this world and to focus our hearts, our minds, heavenwards. Help us to see you clearly. And Lord, please, by your Spirit, would you help us to respond rightly to you today for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So I'll now read Psalm 139, starting at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uppermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand should hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! 
O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So let's begin and start by considering that first big subject. What is God like? And the first thing we'll focus on this morning is his omniscience. Which means God knows all. He knows absolutely everything. So God knows how the stars and the planets hang together. There is nothing going on in the world that God doesn't know about. Yet here's the amazing thing. Our God, who knows absolutely everything, well, he has a keen interest in you. He has an intimate knowledge of you. So just how deep is God's knowledge of us? Well, let's take a look at our psalm to see, starting in verse 1. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the original word search here means to examine with pain and with care. It's a deep search. It's an intimate search. So God has searched David and he knows him inside out. And as these verses build, we really see it. In verse 2, God knows when David sits and rises. God also discerns his thoughts from afar. So every single thought going on inside his head, God is aware. And then in verse 4, we learn that even before a word is on his tongue, God knows what David will say. So God has searched David intimately. God knows him so well, he knows all his thoughts. God knows him so well, he knows what David will say before he says it. And just as this is true for David, it's true for each of us. So please let that sink in for a moment. For all of us in the room this morning, this is true. God has an intimate knowledge of each of us, which is incredible enough. But now think of the billions of people all around the world. This is true for all of them. Every person alive today, every person that's ever lived, God knows in this intimate way. All our deepest thoughts, our innate character, who we truly are, what we're really like. He knows all the words we'll ever say before they even leave our mouth. The God who created everything in existence, it's this God who knows you intimately. But then in verse 5 and 6, we see that God knows us intimately because he cares for us deeply. And if we really grasp this, well, it will impact us significantly. Please look at verse 5. David writes, you hem me in before, behind and before me and lay your hand upon me. So David knows that God is all around him, just as he is us, hemming us in, guiding our paths with his hand upon us, protecting us, guarding us, enclosing us. And the NASB version of the Bible puts it in a really lovely way. It says, you have enclosed me behind and before and that word enclosed is the same as guarding a valuable object. This is the wonderful truth. 
We have a God who is omniscient. He knows everything. Yet despite all the things going on in the universe, he's intimately involved in our lives. No matter how small or insignificant we may feel, God knows you. Out of all the things going on in the universe, what God cares most deeply about is you. He's guiding you. He's protecting you. You're of supreme value to God. And this is despite God knowing everything there is to know about us. I mean, for those of us who've been married a little while, like myself, well, Sarah, she's going to know me warts and all. Um, or she'll think she knows me warts and all. And she's got a pretty good idea. But nowhere near as warts and all as God knows me. And the psalmist sees this intimacy as wonderful. The psalmist writes in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And it's worth pausing here and asking, do we feel like this? When we consider just how intimately God knows us, are we comforted? Do we see it as wonderful? Or are we challenged? Does it make us want to embrace God? To turn to God? Or does it make us want to run from God? Because it's easy, isn't it, to be unsettled by this. When we consider God's deep knowledge of us, we're conscious that our thoughts, our words, and our actions, well, they're often evil. I mean, as an experiment, if I was to say to you in a minute, I'm going to put up on the walls of this room everything you've ever thought, said, or done for everyone here to read, then I've no doubt there'd be things you'd want to hide, things you'd be ashamed of, and you might not even want to show your face here again. I certainly know that that would be true of me. I'd run a mile. And I'm not even talking about over my whole life. If you were to know some of the things I thought and said in this past week alone, to those who love me, to those that I'm supposed to love, I'd be truly ashamed of them. And it was the same for our psalmist. Consider King David. He was an adulterer, a murderer. Yet even he could claim that God having this intimate knowledge of him was a wonderful thing which might seem strange. You might think he'd want to run from God, that he'd try to hide from God. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're racked with guilt about something. Maybe you're on the run from God. Maybe you think that God could never love a person like you. Well, keep listening, because by the end of the morning, we'll see this is not true. Just as God provided grace to David, the adulterer, the murderer, he offers the same to you. But like David did, you first need to understand what God is like. And then knowing him, you need to respond rightly to him. Because once you've done that, you can enjoy the intimacy that God offers without any fear or guilt about your past. There'll be no more need to run from God, but an overwhelming desire to turn to him. But before we see how God makes all of this possible for us, let's look at the folly of pushing God to one side, of thinking we can run from him. Because as well as being omniscient, God is also everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent, which is the second big truth the psalmist is teaching us this morning. And his omnipresence means he's with each of us all the time, wherever we are. So let's take a look at verses 7 to 12 and we'll see this. 
In verse 7, the psalmist asks, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Which can be our natural response to God when we know he's holy and we're not. When we understand God knows us deeply, we can be inclined to try and flee from him, to try and hide from him, to think we can bury our sin. But we cannot hide from God. The psalmist makes this clear. In verse 8, we see that God is present in heaven and also present in the depths of Sheol. In verse 9, we learn God is present in the depths of the sea. And in verse 11, the psalmist is clear we cannot even hide in the dark because the light is the same as the dark to the one who created the light and the dark. There's no hiding place from God. He is everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. And again, this truth about God will do one of two things this morning. We'll be comforted or we'll be unsettled. And our reaction, well, it depends on what we've done with God. It will come primarily from knowing, have we had our sin dealt with or not? If we've turned to God, we'll be comforted by this truth. If we're on the run from God, we'll be feeling unsettled. Because it's clear in these six verses, as it was in the first six, the thing that God is most interested in is you. God has an intimate interest in your life, despite him being everywhere all the time. To see this, please take a look at verse 10. David writes, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So this teaches us that wherever you go, whatever you're doing, God is with you. Even when we think we're running from him, which may be you today, the truth is you can't run from God. He's always leading you. He's always in control of your life. God has you in the grasp of his hands. He's enclosed you. You can't escape him. And a great biblical example of this is the prophet Jonah. He was given a mission, wasn't he, to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to his enemies. But Jonah didn't wish to go. So in his folly, he decided to run from God. He set off in the opposite direction from Nineveh, jumped in a boat to head across the sea, And what did God do with Jonah? He ordained a storm to come. He ordained Jonah to be thrown overboard. He ordained a big fish to swallow Jonah and after three days to spit him up on the shore. And I think it was at that point when he was in the belly of the big fish, Jonah knew it was a bit of folly to try and escape the presence of God. He had to respond to him in the right way. And Jonah reluctantly got on God's team. And Lord willing, when we understand God is good and how much he loves us, well, we'll be a bit more excited than Jonah was to get on God's side. But the simple truth is, God will lead our lives. God will have his will with each of us. And I hope we're beginning to see that God's deep knowledge of our lives, his profound interest in us, should be a comfort. But if that's not yet the case, well, the third big truth about God really helps with this. This truth shows the folly of not recognizing God. To see it's foolish to run from him and helps grow our view of who God is and how much he cares about our lives. Because King David shows us God's omnipotence, meaning God has unlimited power. And God proves this, doesn't he, through creation. The Bible teaches us God made everything. In the beginning, it says, God made the heavens and the earth. 
Yet the psalmist turns his attention to something a little smaller than the whole of creation. The psalmist continues his focus on God's intimacy with us, building the picture of God's laser beam focus on our lives. Because in the next few verses, we see God created each of us. And the truth is, we're only here today because God brought us into existence. We're only meeting in this room because God already decided it on our behalf. God is so intimately involved in our lives, he didn't just bring us into being, but he's mapped out how many days we'll live. To see this, let's look at verses 13 to 18. Starting in verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And then verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So each of us was formed by God in our mother's womb. Each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We're described in verse 14 as a wonderful work. In fact, the Bible teaches us, doesn't it, that we're made in the image of God himself, giving every human life utmost dignity, utmost worth, and utmost value. So why does God care deeply for us? Because he made us and he loves us. God is so involved with us, he mapped out every day of our lives. We see this in verse 16. David writes that God's eyes saw our unformed substance. In his book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So just stop for a second and consider that verse. The psalmist is showing us that before the beginning of time, before we were conceived, the almighty God of all creation, the God that knows all and sees all, was thinking of you. He planned your shape, every detail of what you'd look like. He's mapped out your life. He's known you and been caring for you since before the beginning of time. So for any of us that feel small and insignificant, if we're feeling lonely or we're wondering if there's any reason or purpose to life, whether we make any difference, well, God would say to you this morning, you matter to me. I created you in my image. I've had you on my mind since before the beginning of the world. He's known all there is to know about you. Since before you were conceived, he decided what you would look like. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He's ordained every day you've lived so far and every day you will live. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows what you'll say before you'll say it. So the big question this leaves us with is this. What will we do with this knowledge about God? What will we do with the knowledge that the God who's all-knowing, who's everywhere all the time, who has unlimited power, made us, knows us, and cares for us, and made and knows and cares for everyone around us? How do we apply this knowledge to our lives? How should we respond to these truths about God? Well, praise God, because our psalmist gives us the right applications. In the first 18 verses, David's shown us the truth about God. And then in these six final verses, David teaches us how to apply this truth about God to our lives. And I see two primary applications. 
which are get on God's side. Make sure that you're on God's team. And the second is invite God into your life to lead you because we can only get on God's side if we let him lead. So let's look at that first application and consider what being on God's team means. And I hope you'll see that it means to care about what God cares about. To see this, look at verses 19 to 22. What's the first concern? Well, in verse 19, David writes, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. So what is the psalmist searching for? Well, he's searching for justice. The psalmist wants God to slay the wicked because David knows that God is a God of justice, that God doesn't associate with evil. Therefore, he doesn't want to get involved with the wicked. He says, O men of blood, depart from me. He wants God to bring the evil to justice, to bring justice to those who shed blood, those who harm other humans, those who do evil to other humans. Why? Because of how much God cares about people. We've seen, haven't we, God lovingly created each person. So it makes sense for God to care deeply about each person. So how do you know if you're on God's team? Well, do you care about people? Does all form of human injustice bother you? Are you grieved about what happened yesterday in El Paso? Are you grieved when you read of the knife crime epidemic in my hometown of London? We've got young men and teenagers being stabbed and killed on a regular basis. Are you grieved when you hear that the UK, in the UK last year there were 200,000 abortions, the highest amount in our history so far? Are you grieved when you see a courtroom in New York cheering the law being changed to allow full-term abortions? God cares so deeply about every human life. And being on God's side means that we care too. It means we take it seriously when Jesus says we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And if we're trying to do this, if we care about people, then it's a sign we're on God's side, that we're responding rightly to God. But what else shows us that we're on God's team? Well, I think it's that we're upset when people speak against God. The psalmist writes, they speak about you with malicious intents. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? So we should be upset when people go against God. And it's more than a mild upset. We're to hate it when God's name is vilified. Because we should be pursuing the glory of God's name. Why? Because God is a God who gave us and them everything. Every breath you've taken was given by God. The earth you walk on was created by God. The family you have was given by God. The house you live in was a blessing from God. God has been hemming you in and taking care of you since he knitted you together in the room. In the womb, sorry. And when we read a psalm like this and we realize how amazing God is and we see just how much God loves and cares for us, well, the only rational response is to be on his team, to love the things he loves and to hate the things he hates. Our desire should be that God's name is glorified and we should grieve when it's reviled. And I think that's what it means to be on the same side. I mean, I play rugby and if someone badmouths a teammate during a game, well, I stick up for him. I defend him. That's what teammates do. 
So that's what's another way to know we're on God's team. Well, do we wish to see his name glorified? Again, to use the words of the Lord Jesus, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And if we pause here for a moment, I wonder if you've ever noticed these applications when you've read this psalm. Because if you're like me, it's easy, isn't it, to stop at verse 18 and to leave out the last six verses? But I think they're an incredible end. After showing us how incredible God is, after helping us understand how much God cares for us, David knows we'll be so blown away we'll respond in the right way. By loving God and loving people. That's the essence of verses 19 to 22. It's striking, isn't it, how they capture exactly what Jesus says are the two most important commandments. Love God, love people. I hope you see this. David hates men of blood, those who do evil, because he loves people. David craves justice because he loves people, because he loves his neighbor. And David hates those that hate God because David loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's our first big application this morning. If you're wondering whether you're on God's team, ask yourself, do you care about what God cares about? Are you looking to love and to serve others? Do you care about what others think of God? Does it grieve you when people speak against him? Does it grieve you when God doesn't get the glory that he deserves? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then it's safe to say you're responding in the right way to God. But is it enough of a response? Do we get right with God by simply doing good and being on God's side? Is being concerned for God and his glory enough to make us right with God? Well, the simple answer is no. Which is why the psalmist includes the last two verses. And these last two verses drive our second big application because these two verses show us how to get fixed in eternity. If we do this, we'll get to spend eternity with the God who made us and loves us because they show the primary response that God is looking for, which is to invite God into our lives to search us, to ask him to see if there is anything grievous in us and to put him in charge and ask him to lead us. And this might seem strange to ask God to search us because we know if God does search us, he will find something grievous in us. If God is looking for us to be those who love him and others fully all the time, well, we all know we fail to do this. We all fail to love God and to love others. And in fact, I fail to do both these things fully already today. And this creates a problem for us because just as the psalmist yearns for justice, for God to slay the wicked, well, I know that rightly includes me. We know that rightly includes us. Meaning when we meet God in judgment for our lives, well, if we're judged on our own merits, we won't have a leg to stand on. Which begs the question, how can God lead us in the way everlasting? And the answer to this question leaves us in no doubts just how much God loves each of us. It proves how much God cares for you. Because the God who knows all, the God who's everywhere all the time, the God who made all creation didn't leave us to die in our sin. He took action to reconcile us to him and to lead us in the way everlasting. So, and to deal with our sin, and he did that ensuring that justice would be done, that our evil would be punished. And he did this through giving his son Jesus. 
Jesus entered the world into his creation, fully God and fully man, confining all the knowledge, power, and presence of God into a mortal human body. And despite being tempted in every way, Jesus is the only one who's ever walked the earth with no grievous way in him. Because Jesus fully loved people and fully loved God every minute of every day without exception. And he proved this love by willfully going to his death on the cross and dying in our place. And because Jesus was without sin, because there was no grievous way in him, he didn't deserve to die. But as he hung on the cross and died, he took the punishment for our grievous ways. The wrong things we thought, said, and done. And as he died, God poured out his anger on Jesus and he took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. God's wrath was satisfied. The innocent one was slayed so that the grievous ones didn't have to die. Jesus opens the way everlasting. And to respond rightly to him is to ask him to lead us there. So how should we respond to God? By turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, search me. Whatever you find that's grievous, I'm sorry. I thank you that you love me enough to die for me and I ask you to lead me in the way everlasting. I want to follow you today and always. Help me to love you and help me to love people. And as we do this, as we put our trust in Jesus, our destination in eternity is resolved. We no longer face God's judgment, but are led by Jesus in the way everlasting to spend eternity with the God who made us, who knows us, who protects us, who maps out our lives and loves us enough to die for us. And if we take these truths about God to heart, there's only one rational response. Turn to him, be led by him, and love him. Whether we're doing that once more this morning, or whether we're doing that for the very first time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just how much you care for us. Thank you just so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you didn't leave us to die for our grievous ways, but stepped into this world so that we could be led into the way everlasting. Lord, please help us to love you and to love people. For your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you have been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him.